Wonderful. Are you happy? Yes. Uh, what a day yesterday. Those of you who were here yesterday, it was amazing. When they sang the blessing at the end, ah, oh, they sang the blessing over them. They, just the power of God, the presence of God came down here. And I spoke to a few people who weren't believers, and they said, wow, what was that? <laughs> you know, the tangible presence of God is what we need to expect every week. That we live in that. Amen? Um, I haven't got long this morning, so let's turn our Bibles to uh, Ephesians 1. And uh, I'm actually going to read through the whole of Ephesians 1. Not the whole of Ephesians, but the whole of Ephesians 1. And then we're going to talk about learning to access our limitless God. Learning to access our limitless God. By the way, Rachel sends her love. She had to leave after the wedding. She's preaching in Letchworth today, but sends her love. So here we go. Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now in love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. To bring in him, so to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Let's read that again. This is his purpose, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Wow, what a purpose. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance I say that again, to guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So for this reason, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all of God's people, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. And I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. And I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may the hope, know the hope 
to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, and every name that's invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That's for us, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen? Amen. Well, Father, we pray you'd really bring revelation today in your word. Why is Paul writing this to the people in Ephesus? I just want to give you a little bit of the the background, the context, because I want you to realize how important context is, is today, recognizing what we are, what is being cooked up all around us. Because Ephesus was an important city. Exeter is an important city. Ephesus was actually the fourth largest city of the world, the known world in those days. But what was important about it is that it was the the main center of the demonic principality of Artemis Diana. It had one of the seven wonders of the world, the huge temple of Artemis Diana. Now, Paul knew, Paul knew all of that. He realized that there was power emanating from there. And in Acts 16, Paul tries to go up to take it out. And uh, we see remarkably in Acts 16, verse 7, that it says it wasn't the devil that stopped him, but the spirit of Jesus stopped him from going up there because he was not re- yet ready. He would have been taken out. He was not yet mature enough spiritually. Now, sometimes... And I don't know whether you've had it, but I've had it a couple of times in my life where literally I have been hammering on doors that God's behind. (laughs) Anybody been there? You know, you are just saying, this has got to open. But actually, God's not going to open it because he knows it may well be the right place, right way, way for you to go, but now is not the right time. You may well have to be taken on walkabout to learn a few things, to get to a place where actually you're able to get in there and actually maximize the reason for going in that direction. So be sensitive when you're bashing a door, expecting it to open. So God took Paul on walkabout, and he takes takes him around five different places. He takes him to a place called Philippi Philippi, and Thessalonica, and then Berea, and Corinth, and then uh, Athens, and then finally Corinth. In all of those five cities, what he was doing was opening his eyes Just as he put you here, I want my eyes to be open. He was opening his eyes to see something in the spiritual realm. And what he began to see was the demonic nature of the spirit of religion and the religious control in in those different cities. Different manifestations of it. But he also was able to see how spiritual, some spiritual people and uh, religious leaders were exercising a demonic spirit and that actually demonic spirits could could control areas through a person and having done all of that he then sends some people ahead of him uh, an apostolic couple called Priscilla and Aquila they go in and they see 12 people baptized and they start a little house group and finally in Acts 19 
this young man, Paul, walks in to Ephesus, one man with an understanding of the kingdom authority, and literally heaven comes to earth. Touchdown. The demonic powers begin to uh, just scream, and they're just threatened. His shadow falls on people, and people get healed just by the shadow of Paul falling on them. The witches and the, the, the warlocks and everybody else, they, they throw out all their stuff in the streets. So they gather stuff up. Literally, heaven invades a town because one man has come to kingdom faith. Now, come on, guys. That's what I want. That's what we need. It's not a, a lot of people. It's if one man, one woman, or even a group, we come to that apostolic kingdom faith, things shift. Things change. And I believe God's got to bring us to that place. But Paul had to keep on going. He couldn't stay there. So he had to go on his uh, travels. He went on to Jerusalem and a few other places. But in AD 60, he realizes something's cooking. And he calls down the elders from Ephesus down to the beach at Miletus. And he says, listen, guys, something's brewing here. And you need to, be, you need to understand that wicked you know, wolves in sheep's clothing are going to come into the church you're going to have to be very careful because they're going to try and tear you apart. You've got to stand your ground. And so he kept on traveling. And four years later, he wrote this book. Now, he wrote it at a time, AD 64, when all hell was breaking loose across the known world on the church. Most of Rome had been burned down in AD 64, and the Emperor Nero blamed the Christians. And so thousands and thousands of Christians were rounded up and slaughtered, thrown to the lions, whatever. I mean, they, it was just carnage. Extraordinary release of uh, opposition. And in AD 68, that's four years later, the Apostle Peter, the head of the church, was martyred. Now, what does the Apostle John do? But I mean, he was in Jerusalem at the time, but he realized he needed to leave Jerusalem and he traveled down to Ephesus, and he takes over the pastoring of that church for 12 years, trying to bring the church to a place of breakthrough, trying to bring them to that confidence to, to break out of their confinement and literally, from that prophetic world, leap over the wall and actually begin to start seeing God moving again. But he never brought the church fully to faith, and Twelve years later, he got sent off to Patmos Island in exile. And all kinds of things were happening at that time. Jerusalem was burnt down. The temple was destroyed. All of the, uh, the apostles were killed, apart from John, who was kept safe in Patmos. Now, why am I telling you this? It looked to all the world as if the devil had won. But God was just getting started. And I want you to realize this. We are going to be taken to situations where it looks visibly as if the devil is one. You've got to realize Jesus has all power, authority. He's just getting started. Particularly when we begin to sing, see things starting to get difficult around us and the woke movement and all of the other dark clouds of atheism and Islam and secularism. All of these things try to silence the church. We need to recognize this is the moment the church shines. This is the moment the church stands with authority. You know, people are not our enemy. We begin to love people, love people, 
and just begin to bring messages of hope to people that can come into church. And we will see the move of God like nothing before globally because the walls are down. People's defense mechanisms are down. So we need to recognize something is happening here. Just to finish the story, there was an outpouring of extraordinary violence and persecution uh, really trying to extinguish the church for 30 years. During that time, John was safe. <clears throat> but about age 90, after this 30 years of persecution, they let John loose. They let him go from Patmos. And there's lots of different historical accounts of this, but the one I love best is John came all the way to Ephesus and he walked straight into the temple and just rebuked that demonic spirit. And it is historical that a, literally a, a lightning bolt just broke that altar in two and half the temple of Diana Artemis fell down. It was over. Within 50 years, there was not any trace of Artemis Diana worship over the whole of Europe. And Ephesus became the center of apostolic, is the headquarter of apostolic advancement of the kingdom for 200 years. Come on, Exeter. <laughs> Come on. Let's believe that God can move through us and to see the power of God extend through our borders. Something happened then which just opened up the doors. I worked for quite a number of years with Brother Yun, the heavenly man, and exactly the same happened in China. After an initial breakthrough of, in the body of Christ, all hell broke loose. About 49, 50, all hell broke loose for 30 years, 50 to 1980. The whole church was, was wiped out. It looked as if the devil had won. All the churches closed, Bibles burnt, pastors in prison camps, but God was just getting started. After those 30 years, suddenly the power of God broke loose. And from what was a small church, maybe 800,000, it exploded over the next 30 to 40 years into 80 to 100 million believers. Now, that is the viral kingdom that we serve. We cannot get held back by religion. We've got to be willing to go with the Spirit and seek the Spirit and move with Him. So important. So the essential purpose of this letter is to bring the Ephesians church to that kingdom faith in a limitless God. Not to be stuck behind those walls of offense and fear and everything else, but to see their inheritance with the eye of faith. Not to look at the natural, but to see with the eye of faith and to know their authority, that they were seated in him. But they also had to deal with things on earth. And a lot of people jump into Ephesians 6 and get into spiritual warfare. Ephesians is a training manual which tells us how to think, how to act, how to live, how to relate to each other, as well as how to relate in the spiritual realm. So it also, in Ephesians, it teaches them how to get relationally bonded with each other, reconciled with each other, repaired emotionally, and rebuilt as people. It taught them how to live right in the right way in all of their relationships, particularly in their parenting, uh, and you know, also in their works life, all of their different relationships and also in their marriages. Something had to happen in the church to bring it to that unity and that oneness and that wholeness, that purity, that then they could get clothed with the Spirit of God and stand and begin to fight. So that training manual, this training manual is so important to read through and listen to it 
with that context that I shared, realizing that God's cooking something today. Now, the essential factor in Ephesians 1 is to bring the body of Christ to see correctly. I'll read it again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. For us who believe. You've got to come to faith. We only receive through faith and patience. It's not just faith. It's through faith and patience. But you see, the way you see Jesus, the way you see salvation is the way you're going to communicate him. And that's why we've got to start seeing in the spiritual realm, the whole way through the Bible, God's constantly challenging his prophetic people. Come on, Jeremiah, what are you seeing? Are you seeing correctly? Then he says, yes, you've got it. You see correctly. Come on, Amos, what are you seeing? Ezekiel, what are you seeing? And to us, he's saying, come on, church, what are you seeing out there? Are you seeing the dark clouds or are you seeing the kingdom rising? Are you seeing, you know, the light is rising, the tide is rising, the kingdom is rising. We've got to see in the invisible because only those who see in the invisible ever attempt the impossible and do great things. We've got to, and that's the, the purpose of this. Even Jesus with his, his disciples struggled with them because they could not see the harvest in John 4. I think it's John 4.35. He says, come on, guys, Get your eyes open. Look around you. Can't you see how ready people are to get saved? The harvest is ripe. It's not in the, in the future. And we've got to get those eyes open so that we begin to see that throughout the coronavirus, which may have been a negative thing, a lot of the facades have come down. Globally, there are people waiting, desperate for a message of hope, desperate to know a living God not looking for religion. They want somebody who can talk about a God who does something, who can change their life, who move into their situation. So this first chapter is saying you need to see that we are all, as a body of Christ, blessed, but it's in the heavenly realms. And we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, but it's only in Christ Jesus. It's in Jesus that you have access to this limitless God. It's in Him. Now, what does that mean? It means you've got to make a decision to get into Him. You don't have to know how it works, but He lifts you up. You don't have to know how a plane works, but as you step onto a plane and sit in your first-class cabin, it lifts you up. You don't have to know how it works. And it's identical As you step into Jesus, he lifts you up. And the law of sin and death does not pull you down. But it works. But you've got to make that decision to step into him. Most of you probably have, but some of you here may have never made that decision. I'm getting into him. Don't know how this works, but I know somehow there's some power in there. I need some chains to be broken in my life. And we'll pray at the end if you need to make that decision. But this passage is getting them to see that it's these incredible, limitless inheritance, you know, with our limitless God, it's in him because we've been adopted as his sons and daughters, heirs of all of this. We've been brought back out of slavery, 
And all of this is given to us for one purpose, so that you and I can be God's reconcilers, God's restorers within the community to bring everything around us together in unity into Christ. That is our purpose. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to be reconcilers. People are never our enemy. We just got to love them and love them and love them and help them to get reconciled and then bring them into that beautiful unity with Christ. So the question really is, how do you see yourself? I mean, I'm talking about in your spirit, how do you actually see yourself? Jesus was very aware that a lot of people could see in the natural, but they couldn't see in the spirit. He, could, he knew that there were a lot of people that could hear in the natural, but they couldn't hear in the spirit. And he said the reason is, is that their hearts have been calloused. They've got hardened. And you know, many of us, even sitting here in church, many of us have gone through stuff, words that have just bombarded our hearts, words that have spoken over us, that have just damaged and hardened the inside of us. And we found that we've become uh, wounded people, wounded deeply inside through words that were, were a failure, that were useless, that were no good, that nobody's going to love us. And God certainly doesn't love us and God will never forgive us. You know, all of these words put a wall around you. They put a, a kind of a wall where you can be saved, but you're not free. And I know so many Christians that are saved, but they're not free. And we need to get free. And that's how, why we've got to get access to the limitless Lord, to break God, to break every wall down. Because we are held back by all sorts of things of rejection. I've dealt with so many people nursing rejection. You've got to bring that rejection to him. Nursing abuse. Betrayal, all of these things, such a deep, deep, deep wound. Those, those wounds just hold people back from the full purpose of the limitless God. They live in one realm, but God wants you to live in the grace realm. A lot of people, and you mentioned it, Chris, a lot of people live with disappointment. You know, Christians do get disappointed. Sometimes they get disappointed with because God doesn't answer the prayers you want them to, to, be, to be answered in that particular way, and you just get disappointed. The hope deferred, remember, gets the heart sick. It makes the heart sick. You stay with an, kind of a wall around you. And sometimes it is our own particular choice that we choose to get offended or we choose to swallow unforgiveness, and we get trapped by that trap of offense and that invisible wall around us. We can't feel anything. We're just trapped in that heart. We can't feel anything outside. You know, all of those things stop you seeing, and we have to deal with all of those things. The actual word that Paul uses is fotizo, which is to remove the shutter and let light in. And what he's saying is, I'm praying that these, whatever's happened to you will just be removed. And suddenly you think, whoa, I, I never saw that. I could never realize that he was so big. But not only how do you see yourself, but how do you see yourself in relationship to God? 
And many people are sitting in church, but they don't quite realize that they are totally loved, valued, accepted. Now, Paul addressed that in 1 Corinthians 6. He talked about what he saw in the church, and this is his list of people he saw in the church. The sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, this is the church. The homosexuals, the thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the slanderers, the swindlers. And he says, this is what you were like, but you were washed. But you were washed. Say with me, but I was washed. Can you say with a bit more conviction? <laughs> but, I, but I was washed. I was set apart. I was justified by the Almighty God and the Spirit of Christ. You know, we've got to recognize that we all come from stuff. And he deals with stuff. That's what church is. It's, first of all, a hospital. Then it becomes a family. Then it becomes a training, uh, a school, a training camp, and finally we get into the army. But it begins as a hospital. It's a place where we get mended. So you don't have to put on a facade. You just have to be who you are and just let the Spirit of God wash over you and bring you to a place of beautiful cleansing and freedom. Now, we have been given an incredible inheritance. We've been adopted, it says, as his sons. Now, you probably know the old tradition, but the old tradition in those days was they adopted their child with a ceremony. The word adopt, the, uh, adopted as the son was huios, not the, the nepios, which was a toddler. This was the huios. The huios denoted somebody who had the character of the father, had reached the age of 30, and had the legal right to inherit everything from the father. Those three things. So at the age of 30, the, the party was, was gathered, all the family, relatives, and the father would point to the son and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And at that moment, all of the inheritance landed on the son. It was a legal transaction. Everything, everything, everything was placed on him. Now, if he was a waster, he could adopt another son and say, this is my legally adopted son. Hey, guys, that's us. We've been adopted. And Jesus spoke very clearly about the sons. You remember the, the, the story of the two sons? He talked about the son with bags of character, but zero faith. That was the older, older brother. But, you know, he just didn't have any faith to access it. But then there was a younger son who had bags of faith, but zero character, and ended up eating pig's swill. Jesus said, yeah, neither of those are going to work. He modeled the perfect son. And at the age of 30, it says in Luke 3, at the age of 30, he marches down to the Jordan, dips into the, the, the Jordan, identifying with us. And as he comes up, God throws a party and says, this is my beloved son. And all power authority was invested in him. And we are in him. Now, I want you to see something Everything was given to him. That is why the alarm bells went off in hell. The devil tried to rob from Jesus the one thing that held the inheritance safe in his heart. And that was his faith that he was legally the son and heir of heaven. Guys, we've got to get it. We have got to get 
faith that we have the right to access all of this spiritual blessing that's in the heavenly realms. Apostle Peter talks about it in 2 Peter chapter 1 through verse 3. He talks about his divine power has given us everything we need, everything we need for life and for godliness. But it's through, through his very great and precious promises. We take hold of the promises and through faith and patience, we're able, and it's a lot of patience. Anybody relate to that? It's a lot of patience and perseverance. We pull it down. But we've, we have access, but through faith and patience, we pull that down. And we can actually now participate in his divine nature and escape the corruptive influence of evil desires. You know, I'm coming, coming to a close, but so many of us live in the mercy realm. There's nothing wrong with the mercy realm, but it's not what God wants for us. The mercy realm is different to the grace realm. Many of us feel so excited that, we, that God has had mercy on us. He's forgiven us all our sins. I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. You know, we're, we're so excited that we've been forgiven. But that is not the end of the story. You know, mercy is just like the heavenly bank manager calling you in. And you, you say to him, look, I've got this unbelievable debt, which I'll never be able to pay. I, there's no way I can ever pay off my debt of sin. And to your amazement, the bank manager looks at you and you said, you know what, you know what, I really like you. I'm going to wipe out your debt completely. I'm going to pay it myself. Get out of here. You know, it doesn't happen, I know. But that's what happens in heaven with our sins. He wipes it out. That is mercy. And we dance at, but the thing is, you have a zero bank balance. You've got nothing to give anybody else. You're literally forgiven. And you can live in church like that for your whole life. But it's not where we should live. We should live in the lavished grace realm where we access all that he's got for us. Grace is a different dimension. It's where you get into the bank manager of heaven and you say, look, I've got this unbelievable debt. I'll never be able to pay for it. And he says, you know what? I've been watching you. I, I like you. And I'm going to not ever only wipe your debt out and pay for it myself, but you know what? There's your desk. I want you to come in as a co-bank manager. All of that in the vault, that's yours too. And you have access from that vault to start participating in my work in the kingdom, to touch the world, to change the whole of community. That is the grace realm. We've got to get into grace. And I just keep on saying to myself, I've got to stop living as a mercy Christian. I've got to get into grace. And I'll end with this story. You probably have heard of the old, uh, old preacher Spurgeon. But he was amazed when he went to clean up the house of an old widow in his church. This is way back. Penniless widow. He went to clean up her house and he saw on the wall this beautiful ornate scroll and as he looked at the scroll, he thought, no way. That scroll was the last will and testament which guaranteed that woman an unbelievable inheritance, which would have made her one of the wealthiest in her whole community. She lived penniless, although she had an inheritance. 
Now, come on, church. We cannot live penance. We've got the power of God. Everything in me is reaching, striving, saying, come on, God. Let's see your power. Come on, God. Let's see your healing. Come on, God. Let's see revival. Let's see. Let's make God's love go viral. Let's see something that shakes our community, shakes the nation, shakes the nations.